You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell Shaw, mom, photographer, rock and roll drummer, and chairperson of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Jeremy, and hello to all of our listeners out there. Today is December 26th. 2021, and this is episode 153 of Lighthearted. In recent weeks, we've talked about some lighthouses in Georgia and South Carolina. I took a trip there in early November, and today we're going to hear another interview about a Georgia lighthouse. We'll be talking with Joel Kadoff, who is the Chief of Interpretation of the Fort Pulaski National Monument and Cockspur Lighthouse. First, has anything happened on the state lighthouse history, Michelle? Yes, it has, Jeremy. Today's date figures in one of the most famous mysteries in lighthouse history. In the early morning of December 26, 1900, Captain James Harvey sailed to the remote Flannan Isles in Scotland to relieve the lighthouse keeper stationed on the island of Aileen Moore. When he arrived, he found the light station deserted. The three keepers had vanished without a trace and they were never seen again. The mystery of what happened to the three keepers at the Flannan Isles has been the inspiration for multiple books, a movie, and even an opera. There have been several theories about what happened to the men, but none of them can be proven at this late date. Uh, I plan to devote a future episode of this podcast to the Flannan Isles mystery. Also on December 26, 1891, the author Henry Miller was born in New York City. He once wrote, and I quote, The world is not to be put in order. The world is order incarnate. It is for us to harmonize with this order, end quote. So, Michelle, please help me tell our listeners about today's topic, Cockspur Lighthouse in Georgia. Sure, Jeremy. Tiny Cockspur Island is located at the mouth of the south channel of Georgia's Savannah River, an unlighted day beacon tower that was built on the island in the 1830s was converted into a lighthouse in the late 1840s. That tower was destroyed by a hurricane in 1854. The 46-foot-tall lighthouse that still stands today was built in 1856 on the old foundation. The tower is made of Savannah gray brick. When Confederate forces at Fort Pulaski fell to the Union in the Civil War, Cockspur Lighthouse stood directly in the line of fire for 30 hours. Amazingly, the lighthouse suffered no damage. Except for the Civil War years, the lighthouse operated continuously until 1909 when it was discontinued because of decreased maritime traffic in the South Channel. The National Park Service assumed ownership in 1958. The tower was repaired between 1995 and 2000, and it was relit in 2007 with a solar-powered beacon. The lighthouse today is part of the Fort Pulaski National Monument. Friends of Cockspur Lighthouse was established to work with the National Park Service for the preservation of the lighthouse. Today, Cockspur is one of the five surviving historic lighthouses in Georgia. The Georgia Trust for Historic Preservation put the Cockspur Lighthouse on the 2008 list of 10 places in peril. Major work was carried out this past summer, including the stabilization of the brick masonry and the replacement of doors and windows. Joel Kadoff is the Chief of Interpretation and Visitor Services Public Information Officer at Fort Pulaski National Monument. His specialties are historical interpretation, the Civil War, and seacoast defense history, 
and the National Park Service Historic Weapons Safety Program. I visited Coxburgh Lighthouse with Joel when I was in Georgia early last month, and I put together a little video you can see on the U.S. Lighthouse Society's YouTube channel. I actually got to climb the scaffolding up the side of the tower to the top. In fact, climbing up the scaffolding was the only way to the top of the lighthouse because if you walk up the stairs inside, there's no ladder from the watch room below the lantern up into the lantern, so you can't get all the way up. But because we climbed the scaffolding, I got all the way to the top of the lighthouse, so that was that was fun. You're brave. I, I don't know t- that I would have done that. Yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, I was there, so I did it. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was fun. Uh, I had a tight schedule the day I visited, and there wasn't time for an interview, but we talked later using Zoom. So let's listen to my conversation with Joel Kadoff now. I'm speaking today with Joel Kadoff, Chief of Interpretation at the Fort Pulaski National Monument near Savannah, Georgia. I had the pleasure of spending some time visiting Coxburgh Lighthouse with Joel just a couple of weeks ago when I was in Georgia. Uh, That was uh, pretty exciting. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. My schedule was very tight that day. I didn't have time to do the interview at that time. So I'm very grateful that uh, Joel is joining me today via Zoom. Thanks so much for being with me today, Joel. Oh, you're very welcome. Joel, you've been with the uh, National Park Service for quite a few years. You don't have to say how many years, but I know it's been... (laughs) It's been a while. And we actually met back when you were a ranger in the Boston Harbor Islands, I believe at uh, George's Island, Fort Warren. I'm not sure how many years ago. It would have been in the 90s. Uh, yeah, probably 96 or 97. Okay. So 25-ish years ago. Wow. <laughs> Time does go by. So uh, I have a two-part question for you. Where are you from originally and what brought you to Georgia? So I'm originally from Hull, Massachusetts, born and raised uh, on the Boston Harbor Island. So it just makes a lot of sense that I would end up being a, a park ranger. And that's where I got, got my start. I mean, growing up and spending probably more of my time looking out the windows of the Jacob School in Hull and then the uh, Hull High School, looking at the islands and Boston Light and uh, the mm-hmm. Life Saving Museum. So. You know, I've always been enamored by our maritime history. And at a very early age, I volunteered with the Friends of the Boston Harbor Islands and at the Hull Life Saving Museum. And uh, I guess I always fought. I just always fought wanting to do something else, but getting sucked back into uh, to, uh, to the islands. And I was a Boston Harbor Island ranger with the uh, MDC at the time, obviously yeah. the Metropolitan District Commission, obviously now the Department of Conservation and Recreation. And uh, yeah, from about 96 through 2001, I was a, 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 a ranger with the Commonwealth. And then I ultimately made the jump over to the National Park Service, uh, first as a park guide at Independence National Historical Park in Philadelphia at the Liberty Bell and Independence Hall. And now over my nearly 20 year career, I've spent time on the East Coast, the West Coast, and I uh, had an opportunity about 12 years ago to be a park ranger at a fort, which just uh, just triggered uh, something from my childhood that, you know, I had a, a dream of being a park ranger at a fort again. So that was uh-huh. the opportunity. And it's been a wonderful experience. I'm sure. Well, it's a great place. The uh, Boston Harbor Islands are also a great place. I have plenty of experience with those, uh, having uh, lived in Winthrop, Mass. for a long time. Uh, the islands are a great part of Boston, but it was... Uh, 
It was really neat visiting your area there in Georgia. I really enjoyed it. There's a tremendous history around there, of course. So today we're going to talk uh, mostly about the Cockspur Lighthouse, maybe a bit about Fort Pulaski. So the lighthouse that stands there today, Cockspur Lighthouse, is actually the second tower in that location and uh, built in 1856. And it's uh, constructed of Savannah gray brick. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about what Savannah gray brick is? Sure. So uh, for anybody that's uh, listening and has a chance to make their way down to Savannah, uh, when you're touring the city, you will see some amazingly beautiful houses from the uh, antebellum area in, in Savannah. So uh, Savannah gray brick is a type of brick that is used in a whole number of different structures from the 19th century. Uh, and they were made on a plantation called the Hermitage Plantation, which now would be located somewhere around our kind of the commercial port of Savannah uh, uh, today. And so uh, those bricks were made with uh, enslaved labor, uh, whether it was women and children actually making those bricks and then them being uh, sent out. And then also for the fort and the, uh, the lighthouse itself, also they're being enslaved masons um you know actually putting these structures together mm. so there's a long history with these with these bricks and uh, and, and really a special history here at the park i understand uh, i was at saint simon's lighthouse when i was down there and that i believe is constructed of savannah gray brick but it was constructed after the civil war so i was told it was constructed by formerly enslaved people mm -hmm. so i guess the production of savannah gray brick continued for quite a few years yeah up until about the i believe the 1880s or so Okay, uh, so let's talk about the fort a, a bit. Uh, obviously, uh, we could talk a long time about the fort, but this is primarily <laughs> a, a podcast about lighthouses. But can you tell me about the bombardment of Fort Pulaski in April 1862? Sure. So Fort Pulaski was built to protect the port of Savannah, and it was mm -hmm. constructed between 1829 and 1847. It's part of a network of forts, including up in Boston, George's Island, Fort Warren, and Fort Independence. And when it was finished in uh, 1847, largely sat uh, unoccupied except for a few people, really an ordnance sergeant and a caretaker. But as the nation is breaking apart, uh, as states begin to secede, uh, Georgia leaves the Union. They'll actually take Fort Pulaski. Um, they'll give it to the Confederacy when the Confederate States of America are formed. And as part of um, what we would think about as the Anaconda Plan or the blockade strategy of the United States uh, Navy, uh, the idea was to make sure to take Fort Pulaski back and to be able to shut down the port of Savannah. So the battle itself, um, after about uh, you know, nearly 50 days of siege and preparations for bombardment, will take place over two days, April 10th and 11th, 1862. Nearly 5,000 shots fired. Many of them are, are now new rifled projectiles that uh, you know, utilize that new technology to spin through the air with great power and accuracy. And the fort is ultimately breached during this battle. And it's the first time rifled artillery is used in warfare. And you know, is it, it's really another nail in the coffin of, of, of these masonry forts of the 19th century as they'll need to be uh, improved. It's pretty interesting, though, to think that uh, during this 30-hour battle, seeing a tremendous amount of iron flying from Tybee Island to Fort Pulaski, that uh, you know the lighthouse uh, was undamaged. Mm -hmm. uh, it was lucky that it happened to be in a spot where any 
any artillery would have to have a higher trajectory. So it would have flown well over, but, uh, but uh, you know, in hindsight would have been probably an amazing experience to witness the battle from, uh, from the lighthouse itself. I would say so. Yeah. When I was there, I walked around the fort and saw how scarred the fort walls are, uh, which is really interesting to see because we don't have anything like that in the north with a, a fort that's so, uh, you know, full of uh, reminders of uh, the, the warfare that happened there. Yeah, it's funny. When I was a ranger on the Boston Harbor Islands, uh, one of my uh, programs at Fort Warren was what if? You know, what if Fort Warren was attacked during the Civil War? And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, uh, the bookend to that now is that I'm working at a fort that actually had that, had a battle, so I don't have to deal with any what ifs in this case. So it's uh, right. You know, I've always yeah. kind of chuckled at that, you know, from my you know from my start. Of course, Fort Warren had plenty of interesting Civil War history too, just different type of history serving as a, a prison for Confederate prisoners, which is, but we better not get into that too deeply. Yep. Let's talk a bit about the human history of the lighthouse, just a bit. Uh, I understand there was a tragedy in 1871 involving a lighthouse keeper's son. There have been a number of cases where uh, they've been, uh, there has been tragedy going all the way back to the 18, uh, 1850s. But uh, when we look at where the lighthouse is, uh, the lighthouse is, uh, in fact, you have the Coxborough Island Lighthouse, which is to the southeast of Coxborough Island. And then to the north of, uh, of the island, you would have had the Oyster Bed Light Station as well. So you basically have these two towers marking the two entrances to the channels, uh, the south and the north channel. Mm-hmm. And in this particular, uh, in these particular instances, you didn't have keepers actually staying in the lighthouses themselves. You actually had them living on the island um, near the fort before the 1880s. And, you know, where tragedy would strike as they would try to get to these lighthouses and either be swamped and where, you know, we've had drownings before. Is there anything else, any, anything in particular that stands out in your mind when you think about the human history of Coxborough Lighthouse? Any stories or just something about the the way of life of those people well one thing is i mean i would bring up uh mary mayer she is our only female lighthouse keeper in the you know coxborough islands uh history her husband uh tragically dies and so she is keeper for uh, a couple of years and she's keeper when the first tower is destroyed in the hurricane you know, after the next tower is built, uh, she is, is let go. So it's, you know, it'd be interesting to have a conversation with her. I wish we had more of a record of her time out here. If you look at the history of lighthouses and where women do play such an important role, not only as a support with uh, the families that uh, are potentially involved with these lighthouses, but having to step up and, and become lighthouse keepers themselves. So you know, to me, she's uh, she is a somewhat heroic uh, figure to even some of our staff out here. The lighthouses themselves, of course, you know, we we do we do key in on the uh, the waving girl who was out here uh, as well. Florence Martis, who is the waving girl, she will gain her fame at a lighthouse further upriver uh, yeah. on Elba Island, uh, where she waves to the the ships coming in and out uh, of Savannah. Uh, however, she was born on Coxborough Island. 
uh, here at Fort Pulaski. Her father was the ordnance sergeant at the fort uh, in the late 1860s. And her brother, uh, George Washington Martis, he will actually become one of the keepers of the Coxborough Island Lighthouse. But as you walk around the fort, there are a couple of spots where you know, he's actually etched his name into the, the stairwells, a uh, mm. little, uh, you know, historical graffiti, if you will. But, uh, you know, I, I love to bring visitors up there because it allows, you know, allows me to engage not into the, not only into the lighthouse, even though you can't see it from that point, but to get into that human story. And, and, and also, you know, and I don't believe this happened during one of those storms, but uh, during, uh, during the Sea Islands hurricane in 1893, when we had nearly uh, five feet of surge inside the fort, uh, the lighthouse keepers, along with the ordnance sergeant and his wife, they actually huddled in one of the staircases uh, for shelter, you know, and they survived, you know, one of these major hurricanes that impacted uh, the, the South Atlantic coast in the late 1800s. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the waving girl, uh, Florence Martis. Uh, as you said, she was not uh, didn't live at the lighthouse at Coxborough Island, although she, like you said, she was born at uh, Fort Pulaski, but she was at the Elba Island, the light that was on Elba Island uh, up the river, yeah. right? And I, I saw the statue of her in Savannah, and that's a story that I think a lot of lighthouse buffs are familiar with. Basically, w w what did she do? She uh, she waved to all the ships that passed the, uh, uh, the light. Yeah, legend, for, yeah. legend, legend has it that uh, she, she waved to... Uh, all of the uh, incoming and outgoing vessels as they would uh, as they would pass by uh, the lighthouse for and, more than 40 years i believe it was right something uh, like something that something like that yeah yeah absolutely there's uh, we have a couple of images of her and her brother george uh, at fort pulaski from the 1930s yeah there's one where she's on top of the fort with uh, kind of waving a handkerchief kind of reenacting you know at least uh, what she would do on the along the along the north channel oh it's definitely a, a really well-known story you mentioned the hurricane that destroyed the first lighthouse the first coxborough island lighthouse right mm -hmm. there were certainly uh, other major hurricanes in its history uh, do you have yep. any comment on how the uh, the lighthouses stood through those those uh, types of storms well after the uh, after you know after the army corps of engineers you know, built the second uh, structure in 1856, the current one. I mean, it's actually done rather well. It's got an interesting feature where it almost has a bow that seems to be able to uh, you know, split uh, incoming, uh, incoming waves as, mm -hmm. uh, as they approach. Uh, but the lighthouse you know, was in relatively good shape. What there were issues with was actually living quarters. You can't live in these, you know, smaller beacons. The lighthouse is only 46 uh, feet tall. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to have to live there. Yeah. So originally there was a cottage just outside of the fort. Uh, although if you look back in records, there are always complaints as to its, uh, as its condition. But in 1881, the one that was outside of the lighthouse was destroyed during one of those hurricanes. And eventually the keepers will set up uh set up living quarters in the casemates of the fort mm -hmm. they had several casemates that they could utilize however they themselves would also have to deal with potential flooding uh if uh, if the storm surges were so uh were too high and really by the late 1890s 
they wanted to do what the army was doing. Um, the army had built a cottage on top of the fort uh, mm. for the Oregon sergeant to live in. And they also asked for, you know, asked for that to happen as well. And while they never built their own original structure, really when the army finally left in, uh, you know, around 1904, 1905, they were finally given permission to utilize that house. And so the lighthouse keepers lived on top of the fort for at least for the Cox Island uh, lighthouse about another three or, or, or four years before the, uh, the lighthouse was decommissioned. While we're dealing with sea level rise, and since the 1930s, sea level has gone up about nine, 10 inches just around Fort Pulaski. But, uh, you know, with, uh, with some of the modeling that's out there that, you know, eventually we'll have to rebuild, uh, rebuild that, uh, that structure and we'll have a visitor center on top of the fort. And the lighthouse uh, will face some issues as uh, in the coming years, it sounds like yeah. too, being where it is, yeah. So why was the light deactivated in 1909? Well, a lot of it has to do with the importance of the channels. I mean, uh, the Savannah River, if you were to look at, uh, look at a map and you've got the Atlantic Ocean, you've got the approaches to uh, Tybee Island, of course, you've got uh, uh, the Tybee Light Station and its first order for Nell, welcoming everybody to, to Savannah. But then once you actually got here and entered Tybee Roads, you still have 14 miles of winding rivers to get up to, uh, to Savannah itself. Yeah. And originally, the south channel of the Savannah River was deemed more important. However, as time goes on through the 19th century, the North Channel will, will really become dominant, and that's our dominant channel today, because of dredging. So, more direct, uh, you know, more a more direct line up to the city itself. They're able to, you know, keep it at a depth that they can utilize, and they're going to use that one channel, and so they can just concentrate on that one as opposed to having kind of two different routes, because the river certainly would also be wide enough. I understand there's a, a friends group, a Friends of Coxburg Lighthouse organization, nonprofit. Uh, what yes. does that organization do? The Friends of the uh, uh, of the Coxburg Island Lighthouse. Uh, they are a nonprofit group of, of of concerned citizens around Tybee Island in Savannah that absolutely adore the smallest lighthouse in Georgia. And you know, going back to the early 2000s, the park was doing quite a bit of work with the lighthouse, but the citizenry really wanted to become involved. And so a number of folks right now led by uh, Harvey Farrell of, uh, of Tybee Island got together to begin looking at fundraising uh, efforts and really trying to get uh, you know, more interest in the lighthouse itself so we can continue to do preservation efforts. And it's because of them and also because of the uh, Tybee Island Historical Society that we were able to do a lot of the work that we did this past summer. And earlier on, uh, I understand there was a really major refurbishing or restoration that was done somewhere in the neighborhood of 1995 to 2000. Uh, yeah, well, there were there were some issues with the with the lighthouse itself. Uh, one of them being that uh, when the structure was built in 1856. For it to be where it is, it needed a stable foundation. And so there is a piling and grillage foundation. So basically what ends up happening is they drive wooden pilings into, uh, into the muck and the mud until 
Uh, it will rest up against something harder like an oyster bed or a, a sand layer. And then they kind of put this crisscrossing you know, wooden platform on that. And that's what you put the brick on. And so it doesn't settle. Uh, that's what they had to do with the fort itself. So these structures uh, are on foundations that are, that are in great shape. But going back for the, uh, the Cox Bryan Lighthouse, it's really more on a shoal, an oyster bed shoal. Mm -hmm. And some of that grillage was exposed. So those wood, uh, some of the top of the wood beams were exposed and they had issues with shipworms. You know, a mollusk that uh, you know, likes to eat wood and, and uh, certainly um, the enemy of most, uh, uh, most sailing vessels of the 18th and 19th century. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, a project was put in to repair those issues and to help stabilize get rid of those shipworms so that there wouldn't be any structural issues. Uh, a little later, there was some more work done with uh, a, a, the, the painting of the lighthouse. Uh, also, it was for a short period of time relit uh, as well, more of a, on a ceremonial basis than an active aid to navigation. Yeah. So those were some of the earlier efforts. And as, as part of a new historic structures report that was done just a couple of years ago, you know, we've been moving on, you know, going back and looking at, you know, whether it's repointing the lighthouse uh, with the bricks, uh, also having issues with uh, the doors and the windows, because of course those are wooden elements and being so exposed out there, there's been some maintenance issues. We've actually closed the lighthouse down. It used to be when I first got here, you could paddle on over and you could walk through the front door. Uh, however, because of its age and because of some of the iron elements on top of the lighthouse, mm -hmm. we needed to close that down to the public and, and really focus in on these preservation efforts. You mentioned the relighting. I think that was 2007 from what I saw yep. in a couple of places online. Some websites actually say it's an active light at this point, but as far as I could see, there's no light in there today, right? No, not right uh, there, well, the, the remnants of a light, and at some point, the park would like to kind of relight it on that ceremonial basis, yeah. uh, but uh, there's still more, work to, uh, still more work to do. But yeah, it definitely has not been working for several years. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. And uh, when I was there uh, a couple of weeks or so ago, uh, that was a, a lot of fun. Uh, you uh, took me out to the, the lighthouse, and the scaffolding was still around it. And some people hate to see a lighthouse with scaffolding because they think it, uh, it spoils their photographs. I always tell them it shows that the lighthouse is, is loved and being taken yeah. care of. So it's a, it's a positive thing. And uh, we had the, uh, the privilege to climb the, the ladder up the side of the scaffolding which was uh, very fun in a scary kind of way. <laughs> but you know, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I haven't gotten to do that too many times. So that was an unusual experience. And that enabled us to get right up to the lantern level. And it was in, we also went inside the tower. It was interesting to me to see that there was no ladder from the, the level below the lantern room up into the lantern the way there is in most lighthouses. So it's a little difficult to access that lantern. I guess you have to bring a ladder up there if you need to do that. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. You know, even had we had the ladder, it would have been a precarious, uh, you know, yeah. adventure. You know, it would have made it more, more special, I think. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's definitely, it's a unique lighthouse on so many levels where, you know, 
where you go to, 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 well, even if you were to go to Tybee Island and to the Tybee Island light station, yeah. um, you definitely get such a different perspective on how lighthouses potentially can work to, you know, even its view itself and its job that it has. Yeah. Well, Tybee Lighthouse and St. Simon's Lighthouse in Georgia are, are spectacular, you know, kind of majestic lighthouses, uh, much taller uh, Coxburs, relatively small. I don't want to say it's a poor relation of the, those others because it has tremendous history of its own. And uh, I'm glad there's uh, people that care a lot about it, but uh, got a really interesting bunch of lighthouses on the Georgia coast. So if you could say a little bit more about what's been done recently, again, uh, there was scaffolding up when I was there, but it's down now from what I understand. The windows are gorgeous. I know the windows were replaced and they look really nice, but uh, could you say a little bit about that and what other work was done? Sure. So it was a couple of projects long in our our hopper of things that we wanted to do over the last several years, but uh, things finally came together. And uh, um, the first project and the one that really you know, sets up the scaffolding is a project to work on some deferred maintenance, which is really another word of saying, yeah, we've got some work to do here. We finally have the time to do it and we're going to repoint the lighthouse. Our facilities team was out there all summer, uh, also working with the uh, a traditional trades apprenticeship program, also mm. known to us as TTAP, uh, where you know, we had professionals as well as interns kind of learning this you know, traditional trade of how to properly you know, repoint, especially historic brick, mm -hmm. come up with uh, mortars that are more appropriate to the historical aspects uh, of the lighthouse. So for much of the summer, yeah, we had a crew out there from morning until uh, afternoon, starting from the top, working their way down, and you know they repointed the uh, the entire structure. In some cases, they did uh, replace bricks that uh, were beyond repair. We are fortunate that we do have uh, a kind of private stash of Savannah gray brick that we uh, purchased uh, several years ago mm -hmm. uh, for the lighthouse and also uh, for the fort. Yeah. So that took the longest amount of time. But also part of that project was uh, replicating a new door and windows for the lighthouse. So now we're actually able to once again secure the lighthouse when we're not out there, again, to keep visitors you know, out. Uh, unfortunately, we'd love to have it open, but you know, there's still just too many hazards right now. Yeah. I'm just uh, happy that we made it through hurricane season without any issues because when we put uh, when we put up the scaffolding and started the projects kind of back in early summer yeah. you know there was a lot of knocking on wood to get through hurricane season without uh, any major issues and yeah you know, fortunately uh, we did it and you know the guys they did a fantastic job out there yeah. and the lighthouse looks you know fantastic absolutely yeah i was impressed by the work that was done and we when we went out that day one of the young guys who had done, uh, who had worked out there on the project, I think his name is Mark, went with yeah, us. Yeah, Mark. Yeah, he was really into it. He seemed to to love it out there. Yeah, no, I would say, well, anybody listening, everybody gets sucked into lighthouses. We love lighthouses. But I would say even for those that don't necessarily have that just interest and in, I'm going to travel around and see lighthouses, there's just something about these structures, their history, their stories that, you know, just, you know, suck people in. And whether that's the actual history or 
you know, with some of these guys that had never worked out a lighthouse before, didn't really care, necessarily care about lighthouses before, but, uh, you know, get personally involved. And now their blood, sweat and tears out there of actually uh, doing restoration uh, work on there. You know, it, it just continues that tradition. And yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it, it was amazing. We had, um, we had a news crew out there earlier in the summer and just to see the reaction of the guys and, and the pride in their work too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just really special. That's really great. And they can tell their family and friends uh, what's been accomplished there and feel very, very proud of that. Is the, you mentioned the shipworm problem before. I was just wondering, is that definitely a thing of the past at this point, the problem with shipworms? I'm going to say yes, um, <laughs> although I don't believe that we've had any exposure to any of those, any of, of, of the beams of the, uh, of the grillage. You know, some additional uh, oyster shells and uh, riprap has been placed out there as well. Um, going back to, oh gosh, I'm not going to get the date right, but around 2012, 2013, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers, they did place a, a riprap kind of barrier around, which uh, we really couldn't see that day because of the tide uh, being so high, but uh, that's also helped uh, with some of those issues out there. But uh, I imagine, you know, that's something that the park will probably have to uh, look back at to, to see where we are 20, 25 years later. So I felt pretty lucky to get out there to get a special uh, personal tour of the lighthouse. Are there any plans for public tours in the future? You know, that's a great question. And that's something, uh, you know, I don't know that we've really discussed, like in the future, what we want to be able to do with the, with the lighthouse uh, itself, simply because it's, it's rather on a, an exposed area and certainly wouldn't be open again to, you know, somebody to just paddle out. I, I would like to think that uh, we need to, you know, address the iron on the railings that are on top of the lighthouse mm-hmm. uh, before we could ever allow anybody to get up to the top. Yeah. Um, because those, uh, those are definitely an issue. Um, so I think there are still a few, you know, visitor safety things that we would need to, to need to deal with before we could say we can, you know, somehow reopen yeah. the lighthouse. But I know maybe in the future, I would love to be able to lead some sort of program out there because, again, it, it is such a such a great spot to go, even if it were, you know, ended up being a kayak tour uh, ending out on the island. But uh, we're still we're still a few years away from that, I think. It's not that easy to land and get off of there. As a matter of fact, yeah. I think we we landed on the beach and when we were getting off, the tide was much higher. Right. And we had to. uh kind of climb down a, a ladder at the pier and, and jump onto the, the bow of the boat from there. Right. Yeah, no, it was definitely, it was definitely an adventure. Uh, and so any, you know, any kind of visit needs, needs a good amount of planning. So yeah. I think right now we're, we're, we're content at least of trying to keep folks off of the Island simply because there, we would like uh, some more oyster beds to, to be able to build up on, on the Island and actually, you know, be able to support that area. And even that's difficult because we'll have kayakers that come out. They can't get into the lighthouse, but they're still trampling on those, those oyster beds as they're out here. So it's best to you know, view it from a distance, which you can do from a kayak, any number of the uh, dolphin tours. But even from uh, Coxburgh Island, we do have a trail that yeah. heads out to, uh, toward the lighthouse, gets to the closest point, which is maybe a little over a quarter mile away. 
So it's called the Lighthouse Trail, as you just said. Yes. And about how long do people have to walk to get that view? So from the uh, from the visitor center near the fort, uh, so round trip is about a mile and a half to get out mm-hmm. to the overlook and, and back. So it's, yeah, it's maybe about three quarters of a mile one way. Yeah. We're in the low country, so it's it's nice. It's flat. The only thing you ever have to worry about are, are potentially tides like we just had. We just had king tides just yeah. a, a couple of weeks ago. Did a little bit of damage on the lighthouse trail because the whole trail was inundated. So, yeah, it can get a little bit muddy depending on those tides. But uh, other than that, it's it's an easy walk. And especially in the fall and in the spring, it's a wonderful walk. I just want to ask you a little bit more about Fort Pulaski. When people come and visit there, what is there for them to see and do? Obviously, we've got the fort. Fort Pulaski is, is a dominant feature. But as I like to, uh, to tell visitors, you know, it's more than just a fort. I mean, you can come out here and spend some time in our visitor center, you know, learning about uh, the fort's history, uh, its place uh, in the American Civil War. Uh, you can spend a couple of hours inside the fort, but we have you know, several miles of trails that uh, you'll be able to walk uh, near the North, uh, North Channel, be able to see the North Pier and a spot where uh, John Wesley, uh, the founder of Methodism, actually landed here in Georgia in 1736. Mm-hmm. There's a concrete 19th century, late 19th century gun battery called Battery Hambright as well, but uh, lots of places to walk and to, and to bike as well. So it's you know, it's definitely a place where you can come for the history, but you can still, you know, kind of get lost in nature and get lost in the marshes of, of the low country. It's a really special spot. It is. Yeah. My wife and I uh, walked around the fort and spent some time in the visitor center. I hope I can get back sometime and have some more time to, to walk the trails. It sounds really nice. We had a pretty tight, <laughs> tight schedule. But it's, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the two of you, you made the most of it. It was great. Yeah. Uh, so I have one final question for you, and this one's for bonus points. All right. So uh, my question is, what have you enjoyed most about your association with Fort Pulaski National Monument and Coxburgh Lighthouse? Uh, you know, I'm still I'm still that little kid who grew up in Hull. And yes, the summers are warmer. Heat waves to us are much different than in New England. But I'm involved with a beautiful site with a tremendous amount of history every day. And I get to work every day at a fort and get to talk about a lighthouse. And that's stuff that I dreamed of as a kid. And I love to interact with our junior rangers that come out and give them the, uh, the attention, uh, give them the, the time that I was given when I was their age by a park ranger, hoping that either, hey, maybe they'll want to become a park ranger or they'll want to become a, a steward and a protector of you know, of our national parks and our forts and our lighthouses, because obviously that's what we'll need as we move, you know, into the future. You know, mm-hmm. we need to pass those torches. And that's probably my favorite, uh, favorite part of this job is just those interactions with uh, kids of all ages. I can understand that. Well, you've got quite a place there. You've got a, a fort and lighthouse with tremendous history. I mean, what more could you want a fort and a lighthouse, uh, Right next to each other like that. Uh, it's, no, it's perfect. Yeah. The only thing, the only thing I could, uh, the only thing I would love to have is some uh, United States life uh, life saving service stuff. That would be the trifecta. But hey, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> well, you've got the beautiful natural environment as well, which certainly yep. is a, 
a big part of it. It was a real pleasure visiting there. Uh, again, uh, I'd love to get back and uh, spend some more time talking with you and walking the trails and everything. But it was a real treat being there and getting out to the lighthouse and climbing the scaffolding was something uh, I won't forget. And uh, I really appreciate you spending some more time with me today. Thank you so much, Joel. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Jeremy. To learn more about Friends of Coxpur Lighthouse, visit coxpurislandlighthouse.com. And to learn more about the Fort Pulaski National Monument, visit nps.gov forward slash FOPU forward slash. Coxpur Lighthouse doesn't get the publicity its taller cousins in Georgia get, especially the lighthouses at Tybee Island and St. Simons Island. But Coxpur has some very unique history, and I really enjoyed my visit to the lighthouse and Fort Pulaski. Joel Kadoff is a wealth of knowledge and a great ambassador for the site. I want to thank him for his hospitality and for the interview. As always, we thank the volunteers, members, and staff of the U.S. Lighthouse Society and its chapters and affiliates. Check out uslhs.org to learn more about everything the Society offers, including domestic and international lighthouse tours. Memberships and donations help support this podcast, along with all the other education and preservation projects of the Society. If you listen using Apple Podcasts or any platform that allows you to write reviews, please rate and review us. We haven't read any reviews in the podcast for quite a while, so I thought we'd read a couple today. Someone using the name Mabs2224 wrote, I'm only 17 and I knew nothing about lighthouses, but this podcast is so relaxing and interesting. I love Jeremy. I would totally recommend it if you're looking for a fun thing to distract yourself and relax with. Wow. Thank you so much, Mabs2224. You uh, saying the podcast is so relaxing reminds me of the time a woman slept through one of my lectures on a cruise ship. She was sitting right in front of me in the front row. She woke up at the end of the lecture and she said, Jeremy, your voice is a cure for insomnia. (laughs) Uh, But I know you didn't mean it that way, Mabs2224. At least I don't think you did. And I, I really appreciate your comments. Someone called Siege On also wrote a review. I'd always thought lighthouses were cool, but after listening to one episode of this podcast, I've come to have a deeper understanding and appreciation for them. Thank you so much for the nice reviews. The more ratings and reviews we get, the more publicity the podcast gets. Also, please share the word about the podcast with your friends and family members who love lighthouses. All sharing on social media is much appreciated and encouraged. Next week's episode of Lighthearted will feature an interview with Toby Smith about his plans to restore Paradise Island Lighthouse in the Bahamas. This is the final episode of Lighthearted for 2021. We're recording this a bit earlier in December, uh, just a couple of days before you're uh, about to leave for a trip to Disney World. Yes. I want to wish you, yeah, I want to wish you all the best for a great time at the happiest place on earth. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I'm really looking forward to this vacation. It's had to be delayed a few times because of, you know, certain things going on, but here we are and I'm finally getting to go. Well, I'm glad and you you deserve it. So enjoy, enjoy it. Enjoy the warmth, too. Yes. It's getting mighty cold here in New Hampshire lately. It's going to be in the 80s while we're there, so it should be nice. Oh, please. Well, bring some back with you, please. (laughs) This episode will be released on the day after Christmas, and I hope everyone is enjoying the holiday season. We did 63 episodes of the podcast this year, featuring guests from Australia, four different provinces of Canada, 
Ireland, Scotland, Sweden, Norway, and of course, all over the United States. I continue to learn so much with every interview. We're entering the fourth year of this podcast, and I want it to go on forever. Thank you to all our guests, to the staff of the U.S. Lighthouse Society, and to everyone who's played any role in making our podcast what it is. And of course, a very important part of it all is our co-hosts. Thank you so much for co-hosting about half of the episodes, Michelle. You're welcome. I really enjoy recording these podcasts. I learn so much each time I do. Yeah, well, that makes two of us. So yeah. again, uh, it's it's great having you on, on board for this, this ride. Thank you for and, having me. Oh, you're so welcome. And I wish everyone a bright, happy, and healthy new year. And as always, thanks for listening and... Keep a good light. I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine Let it shine, let it shine